Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to Luke's Gospel this morning, Luke chapter 11. Over the past few Sundays, we've been thinking about prayer because we've come to the section in Luke where we have the Lord's Prayer recorded for us. This morning, we're going to read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. And later on in the sermon, we're going to be specifically thinking about verses 5 to 13. We've already looked at verses 2 to 4, the Lord's Prayer itself. We're going to look at the rest of Jesus' teaching on prayer this morning. So Luke chapter 11, we're going to begin our reading at verse 1. It's page 869 of the Pew Bibles, page 869. And this is God's living word to us this morning. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And, and, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and said to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. And we thank God for his living word to us this morning. Let's pray for a moment before we look at the Bible together. Father, our prayer this morning is simple, just as we've sung it, so we would pray it in the stillness of our hearts. We pray that you would speak to us, O Lord, as we open your word together. We pray that you would challenge us, encourage us, equip us, and help us to live for the Lord Jesus in this world. So speak, Lord, as we open your word together, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll find our passage this morning on page 869 of the Pew Bibles, Luke chapter 11. We're thinking about verses 5 to 13 this morning. Uh, over recent weeks, as we've said already this morning, we've been looking at the early part of Luke chapter 11. Uh, this is the section that contains the Lord's Prayer, and we've slowed down to think about what prayer is and think about what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer and this morning we're finishing this mini-series by focusing on what Jesus says in the, the second half of this section. Uh, there's a story in one of the national newspapers recently with the title, 54 Billion Minutes of Silence, The Astonishing Death of the Phone Call. 
Underneath the headline was an explanation of how people are phoning each other less nowadays. The article started in this way. Your phone lights up with an unsolicited call. Do you A, panic and assume someone must have died? B, silence it and hope the caller gets the message? Or C, answer immediately with a cheery hello? If your answer is C, then you're part of a dying breed. Mobile call volumes have dropped dramatically in the, last, uh, in the past decade. In 2008, residents in the UK spent 256 billion minutes on the phone. That was around the time of the advertising campaign. It's good to talk. You might remember that. In comparison, in 2022, people in the UK spent 202 billion minutes on the phone. That's 54 billion minutes less talking than just over a decade ago. The question is why? People are talking to each other less on the phone, probably because of the rise of other ways of communicating. You can send a WhatsApp, a voice note, a Snapchat, a DM, or an email, and those are just a few of the examples. The, the, the article suggested that despite the usefulness of technology, we're being lulled into a false sense of connection. The world is more connected than at any other point in history, but there are also more lonely people than at any other point in history as well. Now we start in that way, we start with that anecdote, that story, because it reminds us of the importance of personal communication. There's something different about a WhatsApp, a voice note, a Snapchat, a DM, compared to a phone call or even a face-to-face conversation. Personal communication is part of what makes us human and we're doing it less. If that's true for how we're communicating with others, then what about our communication with God? It has been said that whatever a man or a woman is on their knees before God, that is what we are, that and nothing else. We've been thinking about prayer over these past few weeks, and the basic definition we came up with was prayer is personal communication with God. Personal communication with God. But yet so many of us are dissatisfied when it comes to our prayer life. We're dissatisfied at how little we pray, at how quickly we stop, at how we use the same words and phrases over and over and over again, at how dry it can be compared to, say, the, the, the dynamism that marks some of our human friendships. As we asked in the first sermon in this little series, how can something I'm so bad at be God's will for my life? Yet what I hope we've seen over the past few weeks is encouragement from Jesus to get down to the business of prayer. We have a heavenly father who loves to hear us speak to him. He isn't hard of hearing. He isn't hard of heart. You can speak to him. You can talk honestly to him. You can be plain with him. You don't need to impress him. As your heavenly father, he already loves you. You just need to show up and talk to him. So this morning we're looking at verses 5 to 13 of Luke 11. Jesus Teaching on prayer springs out of verse 1 and the disciples' request, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. The disciples of Jesus wanted to know how to pray, and it's likely that they were intrigued and stimulated by the prayer life of Christ himself. The Gospels tell us that there were times when the disciples woke in the morning and found that Jesus was already gone, and when they went looking for him, they found him deep in prayer. The Gospels also tell us that there were nights when Jesus separated himself from his disciples and the crowds and that that when he was asked about where he was, his reply was that he had spent the whole night in prayer to his father. 
You can imagine the disciples talking among each other. What do you think he says when he has these amazing long prayer times? How does he fill a whole night of prayer? And the reply comes back. I was, I was thinking the same thing. I find that after a few minutes, I just come to the end of my words. I've, I've hardly started before I've stopped. For those of us who are Christians, I think we can resonate with that. And that's why what Jesus says in verses 5 to 13 is practical, helpful, and encouraging. He's just taught his disciples how to pray. And now he fleshes that out with three, uh, another part of teaching, uh, and another bit of teaching, and three things specifically. First of all, there's a powerful illustration. Secondly, there's a point of application. And thirdly, there's a call to contemplation. We're going to take each of those points in turn as we try and understand this section of the Bible. So first of all, let's try and understand the powerful illustration Jesus uses. Look at verses 5 to 8. Luke writes, And he said to them, Jesus said to them, the disciples, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, this illustration seems a little bit distant. Has anyone called at your house in the middle of the night to ask you for three loaves of bread recently? My guess is probably not. It's distant on account of time. It doesn't really make sense to us. But to Jesus' first listeners, it was very, very powerful. In the ancient world, hospitality was a big thing. If a traveler called at your door, the prevailing culture of the day demanded that you provide for him. But it's also worth bearing in mind that in some houses in Jesus' day, there was only one room. The floor was beaten earth, covered with rushes and reeds, and a family lived in that one room. They would sleep in it, they would eat in it, their animals would be in as well. Uh, if you've ever been to the Ulster American Folk Park just outside Oma, you might remember that one of the first sites on the tour is a life-size model of a one-room house. F -f Families in the ancient world literally lived in close quarters. And that context is important as we understand Jesus' illustration here. None of us really know what this is like, but if you lived in a one-room house and you'd managed to get everyone down for the night, you wouldn't want someone banging on the door at midnight. Everyone would be up. Everyone would be awake. Mum, dad, kids, dog, pig, goat, mouse, whatever. It's in this context that Jesus tells a story about a man who has been wakened by a traveller. And on account of being wakened by, by the traveller and having nothing to feed him with, the man goes and wakens his neighbour to ask him if he can have three loaves of bread. Now, what we need to understand is this. This was a big deal and it was a bold demand. But on what foundation did the man go to his neighbor asking for bread? Look at it. Verse 5. He knocks on the door, so knock, knock, knock. And then what does he say? Friend, lend me three loaves. Friend, lend me three loaves. The foundation the man goes to his neighbor on is that he is his friend. Friendship is the foundation for his request. Jesus is showing just how impossible it is for a normal human being to turn down a request from a friend. I think because we live in the country, we can understand this. 
If your phone rings in the middle of the night and it's a friend who's in trouble, you will help them. You, you'll do what you can for them. So the point of the illustration is straightforward. If this is what a friend will do for you, how much more can the disciples, how much more can you as disciples rest assured that God, who is our heavenly friend, will never refuse anything needful that we, when we come to him in sincere prayer? Jesus basically says, if a normal human relationship produces a response like this, you can be absolutely confident that your heavenly friend, your heavenly father, will be prepared to respond to every needful, sincere request that you make. In verses two to four, Jesus gives his disciples a form of words to use. In the verses that follow, in the verses we're looking at today, Jesus is seeking to instill confidence in his disciples. Confidence that God will listen to them when they pray. The point of the illustration is that there's no inconvenient time to talk to God in prayer. His entree is never full. His diary is never jam-packed. Midnight does not exist for him because he wrote the laws of time and space. You can knock at any time and he'll answer. So that's the powerful illustration. Secondly, Jesus gives a point of application, a powerful illustration and a point of application. Let's read verses 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The, the application that Jesus makes about prayer is that there's an urgency to it but that there's also to be consistency and clarity in terms of what we pray for. Uh, you might remember the children's hymn that has the line, ask, 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 and it shall be, given, uh, shall be given you. It's an old hymn, but it's a good one because it reminds us that what Jesus says in verses nine and 10 is in the present continuous tense. Now that sounds more complicated than it needs to be, so let me put it more simply. Jesus is not saying ask and then it's over. It's not seek and then it's done, and it's not it's not knock once and it will be sorted. No, it's, it's go on asking, seek and go on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. The, the application that Jesus makes is that this is to be the pattern of our lives. Asking, seeking, knocking in prayer. Now, what does it look like? Well, the, the sense of asking is that it isn't a vague half-hearted request. This isn't someone lying on the sofa with the fire blazing and saying, could, could you pass me the remote in some half-hearted, half-hopeful way? No, this is someone who is engaged, uh, whose mind is engaged, engaged, and whose will is focused. And the way they pray might be like this. God, th this is on my heart. This is my concern. I want to pray for my children. I want to pray for my work life. I want to pray for my church. Do you pray like that in a specific, focused way? Ask Seek. What, what, what's behind the word seek? Well, it's fairly obvious. You, you, you'll know what it's like to seek something. Uh, a few Saturdays ago, Micah took my car keys to fiddle around with and play with, but I forgot to get them back off him. And Saturday turned into Sunday, and I was about to leave for church when I realized I have no car keys. They're missing. And I didn't have much time to spare, so I just lifted the spare set. But later on, there was an all-out search, and he couldn't remember where he, where he had put them, and I had to hook and poke and eventually find them. My, my seeking was persistent, though, and eventually I found the keys. J Jesus' application is, 
I want you to ask God in a way that is specific and focused. I want you to seek and go on seeking in a way that shows your commitment and desire for whatever it is you're praying for. And I want you to knock in urgent sincerity. That's what the third word, knock, expresses. Urgency and sincerity. Now, all of that maybe raises a question. The question is, can you ask God for anything and manipulate the answer? Ask, seek, knock. Ask him for anything. Will he just give us what we want? Is Jesus teaching a kind of name it and claim it theology? Well, you probably know that he isn't teaching that. That kind of thinking isn't backed up by the plain teaching of the Bible. You'll know as well that there are good reasons why God doesn't always give us what we ask for. The biggest reason is probably that we are poor judges of what's good for us. God and his infinite perfect wisdom has has planned our lives from the from before the foundation of the world the challenges the difficulties the hardships the good times we go through are also that we might be transformed to be more like our savior we all have circumstances that we like to change but we're poor judges of what's good for us we're to pray in a way that is specific and focused in a way that shows commitment and desire and in a way that is urgent and sincere So a powerful illustration, a point of application, and then thirdly, a call to contemplation. Let's read the final part of this section, verses 11 to 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Jesus finishes his teaching on prayer off with another illustration. And its purpose is for us to contemplate, to think about what he has said. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Jesus says. Let's try and put that in a way that we might understand. What father among you will take your son to McDonald's and offer him a Big Mac but stick a snake in the bun instead? Or if he asks for a McChicken sandwich, will you give him a McScorpion sandwich instead? There's no earthly father that cares about his children that would mock them by handing something that resembles what they've asked for, but is fundamentally different. It's a lesser to the greater argument. Jesus uses this kind of logic a lot in the Gospels. He's saying, if our earthly fathers, with all their sins and shortcomings, honor the request of their children you should never fear that your heavenly father will give you a pathetic substitute when we speak to god in prayer he answers by giving us what we really need and he gives us good gifts he's not tight-fisted and mean it's a psalm 34 15 says the eyes of the lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their and his ears toward their cry That's worth contemplating. That's worth chewing over in our minds. That that's worth remembering as a motivation for prayer. When we pray, God doesn't answer by giving us pathetic substitutes. He doesn't treat us like that. As our heavenly father, he knows what is best for us. So that's Jesus teaching on prayer. A powerful illustration. There's no inconvenient time to talk to God in prayer. A point of application We're to pray in a way that is specific and focused, in a way that shows commitment and desire, and in a way that is urgent and sincere. 
And thirdly, a call to contemplation. We should never fear that our heavenly father will give us anything less than good gifts. Now, where does all of that leave us when it comes to prayer? We've tried to understand what prayer is. We've looked at the Lord's prayer. We've thought about Jesus teaching here in verses five to 13. What do we do now? Where, where do we go from here? Well, this section of Luke speaks to us at different levels. It speaks to us on an individual level as followers of Jesus, and it surely asks some hard questions of us. What role does prayer play, play in our daily walk with the Lord? If it's something we struggle with, have we given up or are we persisting in it? Are we praying at all? We've said this already, but you can't be a Christian and not pray. Are you praying at all? So, so some of us are perhaps in a good place when it comes to prayer. What can we do to build on that and continue to flourish? That's the individual level. But on another level, this section of Luke speaks to us as a church family. And I want to finish with some concentrated application in this area. In Sermon 1 in this mini-series, I said that it wouldn't be a rant about how you don't come to the midweek prayer time. Me saying, you're not coming to the prayer meeting, shame on you, will not work as a motivation for you to join other Christians in prayer. But we need to talk about how we're doing as a church family when it comes to prayer. It's been said that whatever a man or woman is on their knees before God, that is what we are, that and nothing else. You could paraphrase that quote and say, whatever a church is on its knees before God, that is what it is, that and nothing else. Our focus on prayer over the past few weeks should make us pause and at least ask the question, how much do we value prayer as a church family? How much do we value prayer as a church family? How much does it matter? And among all the other things that we do as a church family during the week, where does the prayer time come in our list of priorities? All of us live very busy lives. Lots of us are cramming things in and we're left with very little time in a week, never mind in a day. And truth be told, some of us don't find the thought of midweek very appealing. We are going to work on that in the new year. But we need to talk about how we're doing as a church family when it comes to prayer. And we need to do something about how we're doing, how we're doing as a church family when it comes to prayer. And the motivation for doing something, for, for praying more, is understanding that our God isn't hard of hearing and he isn't hard of heart. As members of a church family, we can speak to him. We can talk honestly to him. We can be plain with him. We don't need to impress him. As our heavenly father, we know that he already loves us. We just need to show up and talk to him. There's one area of church life at the minute that requires a lot of prayer as well. Can you guess what area that is? It's fairly obvious. It's our building project. We need to pray a lot about our building project. Uh, a while ago, a guest preacher said something that I haven't forgotten. It was just after work had started on site, I think, and they were here for a special service. Can't remember how the person brought it round, but he said this. He said, as well as paying for the work, you need to be praying for the work. As well as paying for the work, you need to be praying for the work. Great turn of phrase. As a congregation, we're doing so, so well at paying for the work. The past year is testimony to the Lord's work in our lives, but as well as paying for the work, we need to be praying for the work. And we could definitely do that more or do that better. If we're gonna move on to phase two, 
if we're going to move into our building at all, it will be because the Lord has made it possible. Now, what does Jesus tell us in, the, in this passage that, that helps us as we think about our building project and prayer? Well, this passage tells us if a normal human relationship produces a, uh, produces a response like this, you can be absolutely confident that your heavenly father, your heavenly friend, will be prepared to respond to every needful, sincere request that you make. It also tells us that Jesus wants us to, to, to ask God in a way that is specific and focused. He wants us to go on seeking in a way that shows commitment and desire for whatever it is we're praying for. And we're also to knock in, in urgent sincerity. And it also tells us if our earthly fathers with all their sins and shortcomings honor the requests of their children, we should never fear that our heavenly father will give us a pathetic substitute. With all that in mind, as well as paying for the work, we need to be praying for the work. This passage speaks to us on a level as individuals. It speaks to us on a level as a church family. But it also speaks to you on the level of someone, as someone who isn't a Christian. The thing that I've said every Sunday over the three weeks that we've thought about prayer is that you cannot do this and you do not have this if you're not a Christian. It's not possible for you to have personal communication with God in prayer if you haven't trusted in Jesus. I think you've probably seen what you're missing out on. I think you probably know what you're missing out on. The question is, therefore, what can you do to change your situation? And the answer to that is that you have to come to Christ. To know God as your heavenly father, you must first come to Christ. So will you do that? Would you like to know how to do that? If you would, just talk to me. Just send me a message. Give me a ring. I will answer. I'm not one of these people that panics when the phone rings. But know that this is too important for you to do nothing about. What's on the line here is not just you missing out on, on personal communication with God. It's you missing out on a personal, on a, it's you missing out on a personal relationship with God. And if you don't have that before you meet him, then you'll be separated from him forever. There's a lot at stake if you haven't come to Christ. That, that, that's prayer then, the teaching of Jesus on prayer. It's challenging, it's thought-provoking, it's helpful, it's pretty convicting, but it's also really encouraging. What are we going to do from this point on? What changes are we going to make to our lives have we moved from I should pray more, that sense of guilt, to I can pray more because of what Jesus has done and how my heavenly Father hears me? Are we thinking about prayer in the right way? There's lots for us to think through, but we're out of time this morning. And to close, we're going to pray together, and I'm going to pray for all of us. And then we're going to finish by saying the Lord's Prayer together as a church family. So let's talk to our heavenly Father just now. Father, this morning we come to you on an individual level and we come to personally confess and admit that we have failed you when it comes to prayer. We realize that there's a, a lot of guilt in terms of our prayer life and we, we pray that we would remember the gospel in that situation. We pray that we would remember that you have thrown our sins, past, present and future, into the darkest, deepest ocean 
And so we pray that as individuals, you would help us to walk daily with you in prayer. Help us to spend specific time in your presence, bringing our needs and requests to you. Help us to speak to you in sincerity, with urgency. Give us grace and help us as individuals. As a church family, we pray that you'd help us as well. We pray that you'd help us to rely on you in prayer, to see the importance, the value of praying together with other believers. We pray especially that you'd help us to pray well and specifically and urgently for our building project. We know that as well as paying for the work, we need to be praying for the work. So we pray that you would work in us a spirit of dependence, a spirit that says, Lord, we cannot do this without you. So would you please help us and would you please provide for us and would you please lead us up the road? Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to to live it out this week and we pray for those who haven't yet trusted in Christ, for those who are missing out on personal communication with you. We pray that first of all, they would come to Christ, that they would trust in him, that you by your spirit would help them to see their sin and help them to come to that point where they're resting and trusting in Jesus for forgiveness. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's living and active and that through your word, we have everything we need for life and godliness in this world. And we thank you for Jesus who has taught us to pray. And so as we close, we pray in the same way that our Savior Christ taught us to pray and to say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.